Thank you. You may be seated. Let's take God's Word together and turn again to Matthew chapter 3, if you would. And a number of weeks ago, we began considering what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And he talked about how he was writing the letter to the Romans in a way that he might establish the church. And one of the great problems in Christianity today is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is just not established. Now, you cannot be established unless you be established on a foundation. That's what it means. The foundation is right. And then the work is built on the proper foundation. And Jesus told us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that there's only one foundation. That foundation is the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes, because people are not receiving proper teaching from the Word of God, they have no foundation. And they're filled with doubts and fears and therefore unbelief because there is no foundation. Paul said, there is no other foundation that can be laid beside that which has already been laid, which is Christ Jesus and His teachings. Sometimes a church may overemphasize one particular thing or one particular area to the point of others. And that leaves people on sinking sand. That leaves people very unstable. And it is our desire as a church that we would be grounded, rooted, established on the teachings, the doctrine of God's Word. If you remember, we began looking in Hebrews because the author of Hebrews was really chastening or chastising the believers, the Hebrew believers, if you remember, let me read for you. At the end of chapter 5, he was saying, some of you have been saved so long, you've been converted so long, you should be teaching. But the problem is, you need to be taught again. You've been saved so long, you should be teaching. But instead of teaching, you're in need that somebody teach you again. Now, that is a problem. I want you to just stop for a moment and think, how long have you known Christ as your Savior? How long have you been born again? Think about it. If you have been saved for any length of time at all, then you have a responsibility, not just to know the Word, but also to share it with others. But the problem is, our churches today are filled with a bunch of spiritual infants. Babies. And not because necessarily a bunch of people have just been converted, but because a bunch of people have been converted and never grown. They're still babes. And that was the indictment that we read in Hebrews chapter 5. Look what it says in verse number 11 of Hebrews 5. Of whom we have many things, speaking of Jesus, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. Paul said, I got a lot of things I need to tell you, but there are things that are very hard for me to tell you because you can't hear them. And the reason you can't hear them, verse number 12, for when the time that you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Is that you today? I want you to ask yourself this morning, does this describe you today? You've been saved and saved for a length of time, 
But instead of being able to help someone else, all you can handle is milk. Very simple stuff. You've heard me talk about this before. God's given us seven children to which we give thanks to him. Our youngest is just six months old. Still, as of this day, he only has milk. Now, very soon, tomorrow, we're going to bring out the avocados and the bananas and start giving him proper food. But for the first six months, all he's had is milk. And you say, that's normal. He's a baby. But can you imagine if Micah, my biggest chap, if all he had was milk, can you imagine if he still walked around with a bottle? You'd, you'd think something's wrong. But look here. There are many Christians who've been saved for 13 years and they're still walking around with a spiritual bottle. Something wrong. You can't ever get past that. You should be having steak. My wife and I were able to have a night away together just the other day and we went out to a nice restaurant and enjoyed a steak together. We don't always get to do that. But I do enjoy a good steak. And I teased Juliana. I had the baby on my lap, Samson, and I took a bite of steak. And I said, Samson, would you like to try this? And we all laugh because we know that an infant cannot handle steak. And there are some things in God's word that some of you cannot handle. Because you are spiritually immature. And that's nobody's fault but your own. Maybe you say it's because you, you worship, you go to a church where they don't teach you. Maybe that's part of the problem. But you do have the Spirit of God living inside of you if you've been saved, and you do have this book. And there's nobody to blame but yourself. And Paul goes on and says, Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There are many people today who, who are spiritually immature. He goes on in verse 6. Therefore, this plea for Christian maturity. Therefore, leaving the principles, those first principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on unto perfection. And Paul is saying, or the author of Hebrews is saying, look, we need to grow. We need to move on. Not forgetting those things. Not forgetting the foundational doctrines, but building on top of them. And he lists those foundational doctrines. Look at them. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. That's foundational to salvation. That's a foundational doctrine to the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Not laying again, not just the foundation of repentance from dead works, but of faith toward God. Has my microphone disappeared? Repentance and faith. Two foundational truths. We looked at them, didn't we? And the next foundational doctrine. Look at it. What's the next one? Foundational doctrines of Jesus Christ, repentance from dead works, faith toward God. Verse number two, what's the next one? The doctrine of baptisms. It's foundational. Now it's, I believe, providential. We're continuing our study through these foundational truths that make us rooted and grounded in the scriptures, that make us so that we're established. These foundational truths, next one on the list 
is the doctrine of baptisms. And it falls on the day that we have a baptism. Now, we'll take some weeks to talk about this because if you'll notice, the author says baptisms plural. So there's a lot when you talk about baptisms. But today I want to give a little bit of an overview about what he means and what the scriptures teach and what our position is. I'm mindful that others take a different position on baptism or the doctrine of baptisms. And I'm always, I always try to be kind and thoughtful and gracious towards those of a different opinion. But as a church, this is what we believe the scriptures teach. And I want to show that today, especially as we go from this place to the river to witness those who will be baptized. So we'll look together at this foundational principle of baptism. By the way, notice if you would, notice the order in the text. Notice the order in Hebrews 6. The foundational doctrine of repentance, then faith, and then baptism. I wonder, should I try that handheld mic? Leon, off, you want to pass that along? Notice the order. First, repentance, then faith, then baptism. Let me try this. Is that better? Oh, that sounds a lot better. Look at the order given in Scripture. Repentance, faith, baptism. And we believe this is the biblical pattern that we find all throughout Scripture. And baptism declares or preaches four things. I want to share those with you today. When somebody is baptized, when they are publicly baptized, then their baptism is declaring four things, which we find in the word. And the first thing that we find is we find in our text back in Matthew 3. Turn with me again to Matthew chapter 3. The first thing that, that baptism declares or demonstrates, I think I'll hold it, Joff. Thank you very much. The first thing that it demonstrates is repentance. We find that in Matthew chapter 3. In fact, the first time, the first mention of the word baptism in the New Testament is found in our text in Matthew chapter 3. And in our text, it's mentioned five times. The word is found five different times. John the Baptist, that's one form of the Greek word baptizo by the word. By the way, the word baptism is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo. That's all it is. In that word, if you look it up in Strong's Concordance, it's found between uh, Strong's entry number 907, 908, 909, 910, and 911. That's where you'll find the different variations of the word baptizo. But 907 means this, to make whelmed or cover completely. Strong's entry number 911 says to stain as like a dye to dip. So the word itself, baptize, gives us an idea of what it is. Does that make sense? So we get an idea of what baptism is just by the word itself. That explains a lot. It explains where we get our practice by fully submerging or dunking or dipping somebody beneath the water. And we find that example in Matthew chapter 3. If you notice, even our Lord and Savior, I remind you, Christ was 30 years old when he was baptized, giving us a pattern. Jesus didn't have any sins to be washed away. Christ did not need to be saved. He was the only begotten Son of God. But he was baptized to fulfill Scripture and to give us a pattern and a command. And the Bible tells us that he and John the Baptist went down. Look at verse number 16. 
Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So we understand they were in water. Acts chapter 8, you know the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8, they both, they went down both into the water. Acts 8 verse 38, and they both came up out of the water. But the going down into the water and the coming up out of the water doesn't save someone. It testifies a few things. It's not the water itself that's holy. Some people say, well, that, that's holy water. No, it's not holy. You know that's not holy water when we go down to the river. It's very unclean. It's dirty water. There's nothing holy about the water. And it isn't the act of baptism itself alone that is holy, but rather what baptism speaks of. That's what is so important. And the first thing that baptism speaks of is repentance. Look at what the Bible tells us in, in Matthew 3. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now look this way for a moment. This is the same message the prophets preached. Repent. It's the first message Jesus preached. Repent. It's the message John the Baptist preached. Repent. It's the message that Peter and Paul preached. Repent. And the reason John preached it was because he said the kingdom of heaven is very near. It's at hand. And you need to get right. To repent means to change, a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. That's what it means. Now, would you look here for a moment? Can I ask you this morning, have you repented of your sins? Everyone who is baptized, at least by pattern and practice of this church, everyone who passes through the waters of baptism, here's what they're saying. I have repented of my sins. I know I've sinned against God. I know my sins are grievous. I know my sins are taking me to hell. And because I've been made aware of that by the Spirit of God, I'm turning from that sin, repenting from it. And so we understand that the first thing that baptism speaks of is this immersion of repentance. That's what it is. The Bible says in verse number three of, of Matthew, I indeed, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But repentance is the first thing that baptism declares. In Mark chapter 1, verse 4, it's, it's said of John's baptism, John did baptize in the wilderness and did preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. In Luke chapter 3, we're told the same thing. In verse number 3, and he came into the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And in Acts chapter 13, we're told the same thing in verse number 24. Let me read it for you. Acts 13, 24. And when John had first preached before his coming, that's Jesus' coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. You remember, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? And therefore, his baptism was a baptism of repentance because he was preparing the way for Christ. And look here, repentance prepares the way for Christ Jesus to come into your heart and life. It's preparatory. You know 
When God helps you to see you've sinned against God and your sin is taking you to hell, then that prepares the way for your heart and mind to be open to receive Christ Jesus as your Savior. Now, don't misunderstand repentance. Don't don't misunderstand repentance for the fruit of repentance. That's what some people do. So some people look at their lives and they say, well, well, uh, I know I'm a sinner and I hate it and I want to change, but I still do it. And therefore, maybe I'm not saved. But if you remember, John preached repent, but he also said to the Pharisees, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, fruit, fruit that shows you have repented. So the fruit that shows you have repented follows salvation. Does that make sense? It doesn't come before. And that's the mistake some people make. Some people say, oh, uh, I, I'm, I'm still, I don't, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not saved because or maybe, I, maybe I can't be saved because if I need to repent and I'm still full of bad thoughts and bad, bad longings and, and therefore I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't be a Christian. But the fruit of repentance follows repentance. Does that make sense? Just like the fruit of an apple tree follows planting an apple seed. You plant an apple seed, it grows, then you get apples. Well, repentance comes, and then it grows, and you get the fruit of repentance. That is what baptism declares. And John the Baptist had a baptism of repentance. And by the way, he did take people into the water, and he he baptized them with a baptism of repentance. But the baptism of repentance was something that had nothing to do with water. It was an immersion into repentance. And that water was picturing that the person who was standing in the water had fully repented of their sins. Or wanted to anyways. Does that make sense? So today we understand that when somebody passes through the waters of baptism, they're declaring they have repented. Their mind has been changed. They no longer want to live the way they've used to live. They no, no longer want to serve the world, the flesh, and the devil. They now want to serve Christ. Their mind has been changed. And thus, that's what baptism declares. Repentance. Now look here for a moment. Can I ask you, have you repented of your sins? In your own mind, do you know that your sin is taking you to hell? Does that bother you? And have you in your mind said to Almighty God, I can't stay here? In your own mind, have you said before the Lord, I've got to get out of here. I can't live like this any longer. I cannot live this way anymore. I want to change. Is your first step. It's the first thing that baptism declares. Baptism declares another thing. We read in Hebrews chapter 6, the doctrine of repentance from dead works, the doctrine of faith toward God. The second thing that baptism declares, not just repentance, but faith. Baptism declares that this person who's walking through these waters has believed that Jesus died for them. Do you know that every example of baptism in the New Testament is preceded by faith in Christ? Every example in the New Testament of baptism that you find, the person first believes, then they're baptized. You don't find it any other way. Let me give you some examples. Acts chapter 2. Verse number 41, the spirit of God has been poured out upon the church 
The church has been empowered. And in verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized. So we see, not only does baptism, when somebody walks through the waters of baptism, not only are they saying, I've repented of my sins, but here's what else they're saying. I believe that Jesus died for me. And they gladly received the word that Jesus died for them. They gladly believed because they already knew that they were headed to hell. They already knew that they were in trouble. And when they heard that Christ died for sinners like them, when they heard that the Lord Jesus tasted death for every man, and when they believed that Jesus died for them, then because they gladly received that word, then they were baptized. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Look at Acts chapter 8. And verse number 12 and 13. Look at verse number 11. To him they had regard because of that of a long time he had bewitched him with sorceries. But, watch this, verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Both men and women. Did you catch that? When they believed, here comes Philip preaching the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Here come Philip saying the same thing that John did. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They believed it when they believed they were baptized. And then verse 13 says, and then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized. So you see the pattern? They believed and then they were baptized. Look at in the same chapter. Chapter 8. Turn the page. The Ethiopian eunuch. They went on their way, verse 36, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You know what the one condition for baptism is? Believe with all your heart. Then you can be baptized. Some people say, well, you can be baptized if you go through our baptism course. Well, I understand there is a benefit sometimes of sitting down with people, but they never had a baptism course in the New Testament. They were going along and, and a man said, here's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may be baptized. And the, and the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So they stopped the chariot. They went down into the water and he baptized them. One more, cha one more verse, Acts chapter 18 and verse number seven and eight. Acts chapter 18, we're told this. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now some people say, well, that was just Gentiles. No, Jews and Gentiles. Here's, here's the chief ruler of the synagogue. Jesus himself, a Jew. They'd already, some people try to, they'd already done Jewish rites and customs and traditions. This was after they believed on Jesus Christ. So baptism proclaims that someone has repented of their sins and it also proclaims that they have believed with all their heart and therefore they have been plunged into faith. That's what baptism is. You're being plunged into the water, and that's showing you've been plunged into repentance. You've been plunged into faith. You believe with all your heart. Would you look here for a moment? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for you? Do you believe that he shed his blood for you? That he died 
for you. This is the second thing that baptism proclaims. The third thing. Look back at our text in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, the, the uh, forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The third thing that baptism declares is that you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, we cannot be afraid of this. Now, there's a lot of churches today who really skip over these verses because they don't want to be put into the group of maybe charismatic kind of circles and because some people maybe have taken the baptism of the Holy Spirit and and maybe they have made a wrong emphasis or maybe they have misinterpreted it and therefore people today conservative churches today avoid it altogether but it's in God's word and it is a it is a ear inseparable part of your salvation the baptism with the Holy Spirit no, what does it mean? Let me give you a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I love this. Every once in a while somebody says, well, uh, there's only one baptism. Yes, you're right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at it. This is a chapter of ones, the same spirit, and talks about one body and one spirit. And we read in other places, one Lord. But look what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. One body of Christ. I love this. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. One spirit baptizes us into one body. So again, remember that word baptize means to whelm or to completely cover or to dip. And so when we see someone being baptized, it's a picture of them being plunged into repentance and plunged into faith. And it's also a picture of being plunged into the family of God. Baptized into Christ, into the family, the body of Christ. You once were an outsider. Now you belong. Now you are a part of the family. And it's inseparable. You belong to Christ. Now it also means this. In the Old Testament, over and over again, there are prophecies about the Spirit of God being poured out upon the people of God. And this is where sometimes people get the, the practice of pouring because uh, the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And I understand that. And uh, I still don't think that's what we find in the, in the New Testament. But I understand that. But this is picturing what takes place. Because when a person is born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And we believe that there is also a covering. An outpouring of God's Spirit over top of us. So we are filled Inside and covered outside, completely submersed 
completely immersed and indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now that's so encouraging to me to think about what that means to be born again. Now, Titus gives us a little bit more of an explanation. Titus chapter 3, let me give you these verses. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4 and 5. Listen to what he says. I hope this will help you. Titus says this, But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So what happens when someone is born again? They, we are washed, our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ, and the Holy Spirit renews us. That's what this is, a picture of being indwelt by the Spirit of God and being totally covered by the Spirit of God. We are a new person. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So when somebody walks through the, the waters of baptism, it is a picture of the renewal of God's Spirit. You've been renewed. You're a new man. And the last thing that it shows on, based upon, on the right off the back of that is you remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 6? We say this when somebody is baptized. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. You may remember that. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So when someone is baptized, here's what it's declaring. They've been buried with Christ. And now they're being raised to new life. And so when someone gets baptized, they're saying they have repented of their sins, believed on Jesus Christ. They have been baptized into the family of God. They are now a part of God's family. They are indwelt by the Spirit of God and now they are a new creature going to live a new life. All of this is preached and proclaimed through baptism. Now we're going to take some weeks and the weeks gone by to talk about some of these things, especially some of these last couple of things because they can be confusing to a lot of people. But this is what happens and this is what we believe the Scriptures teach. When somebody walks through the waters of baptism, they are publicly declaring I've repented of my sins. I've placed my faith and trust in Christ. I am now a part of the family of God, and I'm living a new life. Now, some people say, well, does it have to be public? That's the whole point of it. The whole point of it is to declare, I'm new. I'm not what I used to be. I'm a new man. Now, I understand there have been times in histories when people have had to do this in secret because their lives are in danger. I understand that. But that's not our problem today, is it? By the way, it was their problem. Their life was in danger then, too, you know. In the New Testament, when somebody was born again, they lost houses and lands. When they followed the Lord in this way, they lost jobs. They lost family because they made a stand to follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes we see it even amongst our own folks and a lot, a big sacrifice to follow the Lord in this way. But I wonder, in closing, go back to Matthew 3. Listen to what John preaches. Listen to what he says. He's preaching to a religious crowd. And maybe today you have a religious nature to you. You've grown up in church. You know about spiritual things. 
You're very religious. But if you don't repent of your sins and believe on Jesus Christ, I don't care how religious you are, you will die in your sins and go to hell. And the scriptures are clear. Repent and believe. Turn from your sins. Believe that Christ died for you. Look what he says. John the Baptist is urging people. He's commanding people, repent of your sins and believe because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, now he was talking about the first coming of Christ. Look here. I'm going to tell you about the second coming because he is coming. And if you can't look around this dark world and feel that and sense that, then you have been blinded. In fact, the Bible says, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And if you've never been born again, look here. This may offend you, but if you've never been born again, you are blind and you cannot understand this. You can't say that. I grew up in church my whole life. But if you are not born again, you're blind. The Bible says, if, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those who don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in unto them. Satan wants to keep you blind so that this message, this good news that God loves us and sent his son to die for us for our sins. So that good news can't get to you. And Satan's trying to keep you blind. And so God sends his servants like John the Baptist who says, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And today we declare it again. Repent because Christ is coming soon. He goes on in verse number 10 and he says, look, the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn or cut down and cast into the fire. Look here. And John the Baptist is saying that right after he told these religious people, if you don't give evidence that you've been saved, if you don't give evidence, then you better stop and check. Because right now he said the axe is laid to the root of the tree. I grew up in the country, grew up with some acreage of land and we used to cut firewood uh, and, and heated our house. We, I lived in a mobile home. They used to call me trailer, trailer park trash. But when we moved that mobile, mobile home out of the trailer park and put it on a hill, we went from trailer park trash to hillbilly. And uh, that's okay. I don't mind that my whole life. In, in fact, until I moved out of my house, I lived my entire life in a mobile home in a trailer. We got really fancy one day and we bought a little partition, a little room about the size of this. We built it onto the side of, about this, built it onto the side of our mobile home. We put a wood burning stove in that and we heated the whole trailer that way, but we had to cut the wood. I can remember being Titus's age, going out to the woods with my axe by myself. I thought it was big stuff and I was going to cut down a tree. And I remember I was taught how you, I watched people do it. You take that axe before you start chopping and you sort of touch it to where you're going to, to where you're going to cut. You've seen that before. And what John the Baptist was saying is this, the axe is laid to the root. Just before you can even blink, the axe of God's judgment is going to fall. So you don't have time to waste. You don't have time to think about weigh this up way that you need today to be saved today to repent of your sins and believe on him because before you know it that axe will fall and it'll be too late and every tree that doesn't have fruit every tree that doesn't give evidence that they've been saved will be cast into the fire the eternal fire of hell 
And then John says in verse 12, another illustration, his fan is in his hand. Now that's not talking about a fan because you're hot. That's like a pitchfork or a winnowing fork or fan. His fan is in his hand, the scriptures say, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. Now here's what they do. They'd cut down wheat and they'd bring it to a threshing floor, stalk and all, and they put it on the floor and they would trample it with their feet. By the way, I believe there's some trampling happening in the world today. I believe God is trampling out. And in the trampling process, as man or cows would trample on the wheat, it would break the kernel of wheat from the shell, from the chaff, and it would separate it. And then the farmer would come in and take his pitchfork and he'd toss it in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and the wheat would fall to the ground. And here's what John said right now. Look here. John said his fan is in his hand. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he is very soon going to purge his floor. Before you know it, look here. Jesus Christ is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And if you've not been born again, if you've not repented of your sins and believed that Christ died for you, place your faith in him, that on that day you will be blown away with the rest of the chaff. And you say, but I've gone to church my whole life. That will not save you. I know a lot of theology. That will never save you. You must be born again. And if you're not, the Bible says in one part, he'll pick up the chaff, throw it into the fire. He'll take the wheat and put it in his barn, the symbol of where he lives. And very soon Christ will come and separate the wheat from the chaff and those who have been born again by his spirit will go to be with Christ for all eternity and the rest shall be cast into everlasting fire. Now I wonder, which are you? Wheat or chaff? Which one are you? In a few moments, we'll go from this place to the river and we'll witness people. And I want you to think about those four things as they walk through the waters of baptism. They have repented of their sins and they have experienced a baptism of repentance. They hate their sin. Uh, they are grieved by their sin. They believe. They've experienced a baptism of faith. They believe Jesus died for them. Oh, of course they doubt sometimes. They believe that Christ died for those sins. They've experienced a baptism of faith. They've experienced a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's come to live inside of them. They've been filled, they've been covered, and they want to serve him. And they've been given new life. Their old man buried with Christ in baptism. Old man is dead and gone. Raised to walk in newness of life. Would you look here? When, when God first saved me, all of my friends said to me this. I, I grew up, I lived a very wild life. And my friends said to me one time, you're different. And that, that bothered me. I didn't understand a lot then. You're different. And I tried for the longest time, I tried to prove that I wasn't different, but I was. Because I didn't understand I should be different. And I was trying my hardest. They kept saying, you're, you're, we want the old Derek back. But they didn't understand they could never get that back. Nor could I. I wonder today, are you ready for the Lord Jesus' return? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The return of Jesus Christ is at hand. You need to be ready. Would you bow your head with me in prayer?
Our Father in heaven, thy word is so clear. There's only one way of salvation. That is through thy son, the Lord Jesus, who bled and died for our sins. We praise thee that we read that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. And we thank thee that it is his blood, his work, his finished work that has worked in us this redemption. We thank thee, Lord, for repentance. We thank thee for the day that our own mind was convinced that if we continued down the road that we were on, we would be eternally damned. We thank thee for that, Lord. But we also thank thee for faith, for the light of the gospel, the light that sprang forth into our minds and hearts and showed us that Jesus Christ is a good Savior who bled and died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to perish. And we thank thee. We thank thee for the baptism of the Spirit. He came to live within us, to regenerate us, to renew us, to give us new life and a new mind. We thank thee, Lord, that thy spirit took our stony heart out and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And we thank thee, Lord, that we have new life in Christ. I pray for these who will be baptized in just a little while. Help them, Lord, to live in newness of life. May this not just be a, an occasion that they mark down in the history books, but may it indeed be a turning point where they publicly and finally follow thee for the rest of their life. I pray for those today who are here who are lost, struggling with doubts, struggling with uncertainty. Oh Lord, may they hear the voice of Jesus Christ say unto them, come unto me and rest. May they hear the voice of Almighty God say, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. May they hear the voice of the Spirit and the bride say, come, all who are thirsty and drink of the fountain of living water freely. Save, we pray. And encourage, we pray. We ask these things in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.